What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the CPA Zone, the podcast where we discuss tax strategies and accounting tips for entrepreneurs and real estate investors. My name is Ryan Pulis, and our company, The Pulis Group, offers tax planning and advisory services for entrepreneurs like you. Whether it's bookkeeping, tax planning, or CFO services that you're looking for, we've got you covered. Hi, everybody. Ryan Pulis here with another episode of the CPA Zone. Today, we're going to talk about short-term rentals and the short-term rental loophole when it comes to real estate investing. Before we dive into short-term rentals, let's review briefly the passive activity loss rules. So from a tax perspective, all activities are either passive or non-passive. Passive activities come with rules that limit your ability to deduct losses from rental activities and businesses in which you do not materially participate. So passive activity losses are allowed to the extent of passive income, but losses in excess of passive income are suspended and carried forward. Passive income from one activity can be offset by passive losses in another activity, so you don't have to generate income from the same activity in the future if you have multiple passive activities. Gains from one can offset losses from another. So generally, rental activities are considered passive by default, even if you materially participate. Whereas a more traditional business, if you materially participate, then that business is considered an active trader business. There is no, it's not considered passive. With real estate, by default, it's passive unless you meet one of the exceptions. So the short-term rental loophole comes into play here as an exception to these passive activity rules. So certain activities are not considered rentals for purposes of the passive activity laws, passive activity rules. So one is the average period of customer use is seven days or less. So this is going to be your Airbnb, VRBOs, the short-term rentals. This is the exception to the rule that we're looking for. Now, what this does, it doesn't automatically allow you to deduct losses but it takes your short-term rental out of the passive bucket and into the more traditional active bucket where now you must show material participation and with material participation, you can deduct, you can deduct your losses. So what we're doing here is essentially getting you out of this default passive categorization that applies to most rentals. And we do that by using the short-term rental loophole or exception. It's technically an exception to the passive activity rules. So material participation, just to clarify, is what you need to show or demonstrate to take your losses and have the activity considered to be not passive. So participation generally means any work done in an activity by an individual who owns an interest in that activity. To materially participate in an activity, you you must show that you're regularly and continuously involved on a substantial basis in that activity. So That all sounds nice, but how do I do that? So the IRS gives us seven tests. There are seven tests laid out in the regulations that explain how you can demonstrate material participation. But of the seven, there's really three that we're going to see most often, especially for the short-term rental loopholes. First, we have you participate more than 500 hours during the year. Now, if you have one uh, one short-term rental, the 500 hours threshold is probably not something you're going to achieve. But if you have multiple rentals, you can group them and hopefully hit that 500 hour threshold. 
Another way to qualify is that your participation in the activity is substantially all of the activity, meaning you do pretty much everything on your own. We call this the substantially all test. Now, a third way, and this is what I see tends to be the most uh, most common, and it, the substantially all is up there as well, but this one tends to be the most common. It's your participation is 100 hours during the year and more than anyone else. So substantially all, you're doing pretty much everything. If you, if you have someone come in one day to help repair something that maybe you're just not qualified to do, you can pass this test. But if, if you're with a short-term rental, you're having cleaners come in, you may have a, a re- contractor come in to repair things every once in a while, you're not going to hit substantially all. But if you log more than 100 hours and more than any of those other individuals, not companies, you can use the same cleaning company and have them send new people every week so that no one's getting close to that 100-hour mark or the mark that you're at over 100 hours, and you're going to be okay. If you, as long as you have the 100 hours and more than anyone else, you will qualify as materially participating, and now you can deduct the losses on your short-term rental. So that's the short-term rental loophole in a nutshell. By qualifying as a short-term rental with an average period of customers, with an average customer stay of seven days or less, that gets you out of the default passive categorization. And now you have to show the second part of the test is show material participation in the activity. And you do that by participating more than 100 hours and more than anyone else. That's typically the way this is going to work. If you can hit one of the others, 500 hours or substantially all, great. But typically, what I see is the 100-hour test and more than anyone else. Now, we're able to write off our losses with a short-term rental. We also have this thing called a cost segregation study, which can be used with bonus depreciation to really enhance those year one losses. So bonus depreciation, as you're probably aware, is really all it is. It's a percentage that you're allowed to apply to the cost of an asset, which allows you to write off that percentage of the cost in year one. So up through 2022, from 2017 through 2022, bonus depreciation was 100%. So if you bought an asset that qualifies, you wrote off 100%. 2023, this year, it's 80%. So you can write off 80% of the cost in year one. Now, bonus depreciation applies to assets with a life of 20 years or less. So it doesn't apply to buildings. However, that's when we use a cost segregation study, which a cost segregation study is simply, it's an engineering-based study that reallocates the cost of the building out of 39-year property, which is what a short-term rental qualifies for, it's considered non-residential, into 5- and 15-year property. So 5- and 15-year property qualify for bonus appreciation. Now, a typical cost seg study is going to probably take about 20 to 30% of that building cost and allocate it to 5- and 15-year property, which is bonus depreciation eligible. So this year, 2023, we have 80% bonus depreciation. Let's just talk through a brief example of how this works and just how powerful it can be. Let's say we buy a building that costs $300,000. So we're going to assume $300,000 is the building cost, no land, land's already separate. If you were to appreciate this over 39 years, a $300,000 building over 39 years is going to achieve uh, about $7,700 in depreciation per year. Now, if we run a cost seg study and we're able to allocate, let's say, 25% of that building cost to five and 15 year property, that is $75,000 
25% of 300,000, that's eligible for an 80% write-off in year one. So when we get the, we take the bonus depreciation at 80%, we still take the 39 year straight line depreciation on the remaining building cost of 225. That's after we move 75,000 to five and 15 year property. In addition, that five and 15 year property that takes 80% bonus depreciation also gets the typical first year maker's depreciation. So when you total it all up, we're looking at a first year depreciation deduction of about $68,000 rather than 7,700. So just round numbers, 68,000 minus 8,000, that's an additional $60,000 write-off in year one, which is pretty substantial. It makes this strategy really powerful. And the best thing is if you decide in future years, you wanna be a bit more hands-off, and convert this to back to a passive activity, there's no recapture to worry about at that time. Now, depreciation recapture, if you sell later, needs to be looked at, but there are strategies to work around that, such as the 1031 exchange. What we're worried about now is really enhancing that year one depreciation deduction. So you can take that loss, use it against other income like W-2 income or active business income, and save enough money in taxes put that money back into yet another property and start building out your real estate portfolio. Now, three common errors I see with short-term rentals. Uh, Just wanted to talk briefly through these. One is claiming losses from short-term rentals without material participation. So everything we've been talking about, you need to demonstrate material participation before you can take the losses. Too often, I'll I'll review a return where the prior preparer or CPA didn't factor that in or it was a do-it-yourself, someone heard there's a short-term rental loophole, they didn't, when we talk about it, we realize, oh, they didn't qualify. So that's one error. Make sure you have the material participation. Use a log to track your time. It will pay for itself many times over if you ever need it in an audit. Their second error that I see quite often is reporting short-term rentals on Schedule C rather than Schedule E of the tax return. So short-term rental is a rental for tax reporting purposes. Technically, it's an exception to the definition of a rental for passive activity rules under Section 469, but that's it. Overall, it's still a rental. The activity itself's a rental, so it belongs on Schedule E, not Schedule C. And another, another reason you want to keep it on Schedule E is because in years you would turn a profit, if you're reporting this on Schedule C, then you're going to have you're going to pay self-employment taxes in addition to your income taxes. Self-employment taxes being your FICA and Medicare. If you're an employee, you're going to pay that's 15.3% that as a self-employed individual you'll pay on top of your income tax. Now, if you're providing substantial services, think like hotel type services, then the activity really does belong on schedule C. So if you're providing hotel type services, cleaning during the stay each night, uh, transportation services, concierge services, those are hotel type services. Now cleaning between tenant stays, that is not a hotel type service. So that's not going to treat this or cause your short-term rental to be reported on Schedule C and subject to self-employment tax. Generally, these are Schedule E activities unless you're providing those substantial services. Now the last, the third error I see quite often is short-term rentals being depreciated over 27 and a half years rather than 39 years. So 27 and a half years 
is how long you depreciate residential real estate. In most short-term rentals, there's single-family homes. It would seem like they should be a residential property. However, according to the IRS rules, they're not. They're 39-year property, non-residential, and that's because for purposes of the passive activity rules, we are not considering this a rental. It is more like a traditional business or commercial property, and you depreciate it over 39 years. So you want to be sure if you're using the short-term rental loophole that you're not making any of these errors. You're materially participating to take the losses. You're reporting on Schedule E unless you're providing substantial services and you're depreciating it correctly over 39 years. So to recap, the short-term rental loophole is one of the exceptions to the passive activity loss rules under Section 469 of the Internal Revenue Code. This exception is when you have an average customer stay of seven days or less. That gets us out of the default passive categorization. And now with material participation, we can take losses and you can show material participation by logging over 500 hours during the year. If you participate more than 100 hours and more than anyone else, that's the most common that we see. Or if you do substantially all of the work yourself. Any of those three tests, if you pass, you will be demonstrating material participation and then you can take those short-term rental losses and use them to offset other active income. If you're able to take the losses, it's a good time to consider using a cost segregation study with bonus depreciation to really build up those losses in year one and offset that income, get yourself a nice refund and take that money and deploy it back into another investment. So that about does it today on our discussion of short-term rentals. If you found value in this episode, please leave a five-star review and hit the like and subscribe button. Until next time, have a great day. So that about does it for this episode of the CPA Zone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found something valuable that you can take away. We are taking on new clients, and if you'd like to work with us, then go to our website and fill out the client intake form on our contact page. This can be found at thepulisgroup.com forward slash contact. That's T H E. P-U-L-I-C-E-G-R-O-U-P dot com forward slash contact.